six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. This is Yuri Rashkin. I'm excited to have this opportunity to spend an hour uh, together with you today because we're going to have, we we are having a very, very special guest, and that is Artemy Kivovich Troitsky, who is a Russian journalist, music critic, concert promoter, radio host, and academic who has lectured on music journalism at Moscow State University. Um, it's been said that he's an anarchist, pacifist, and one of the most prominent Russian Kremlin critics in the Baltic states. Journalist and uh, music critic Artemy Troitsky is known for his impudence and sharpness. It's how he was described by uh, Tigran Petrosyan, uh, another journalist. Um, Artemy, I'm uh, super excited to have you on the program. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, do you hear me well? Because I've just managed uh, to get connected to you via Google Meet instead of a uh, simple uh, phone. So, uh, is the sound okay? Are you I satisfied with I've, it? Yes, and uh, the sound is great. And it does help the quality of the sound, you know, moving away from the good old phone into good old digital. Uh, it's, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, of course. Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm a 20th century man, so... <laughs> so, so, yes, there's a rotary uh, well, phone in I'm your house. Literate, yes. but, uh, yeah. but not to the point when, uh, you know, I can easily uh, command all those digital devices. Well, anyway... Uh, you know, while, while we're be, on the subject uh, of... To uh, be with you and, also yeah. see you and also see you on my tablet's screen. Yes. Uh, thank you to technology for being able to provide this and to all the volunteers and everybody else who makes Wart run. I will say that you, dear listener, should join our conversation. The phone number here is, good old phone, right? 608-256-2001 and Steve, our receptionist, will patch you through. Um, one of the things that we're going to touch on with Artemi is all the people that he knows because uh, basically if there's a, somebody connected with music or possibly arts in Russia or that uh, greater, you know, post-Soviet Union space, um, in beyond that, really. Artemi, I think, has spoken to them by phone last week and, and knows the latest scoop. It's just amazing. So if you know of any uh, Russian performer and you're wondering what is going on with them these days, give us a call. Uh, we'll fill you in. I'm sure it's going to be an interesting story. But um, wh- I guess where I'd like to begin is you were uh, a rebel in, so to say, late Soviet Union. Then um, everything happened, and now we're back in the USSR. Um, is is that is this worse than Soviet Union? Is this is today's Russia still better than Soviet Union? How the, how can you compare? Even you know, I mean, you you left. Okay, well, uh, back in the USSR is actually a song title by the Beatles, written by by Paul McCartney, by the way. I know quite well personally, and this is also the title of my first book, Back in the USSR, The True Story of Rock in Russia. Well, I can tell you that uh, maybe it's because I was much younger and much more optimistic at these times, and uh, I didn't have the experience of defeat that uh, we are uh, experiencing now. 
uh, the Soviet times, uh, they look much, <laughs> much better, much warmer, much happier, and also much more logical to me than what's happening in Russia right now. Well, after all, uh, you know, the Brezhnev's uh, Soviet Union, of course, it was, uh, it was a stagnating country led by rather backwards ideology, full of lies, uh, full of restrictions, and so on. But at the same time, I wouldn't call uh, the Soviet Union of the 60s and 70s and the early 80s a fascist state. And uh, Putin's Russia right now is a bona fide fascist uh, state. And I think that uh, maybe diplomats uh, don't like to use this word because it's, uh, it's too strong. <laughs> for a, a, a diplomatic usage. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, this is true. Putin's Russia is a fascist state. And of course, uh, you know, I really, I, I really feel uh, bad for, uh, for those people, including many of my friends and relatives uh, who still live there. I, I can't imagine myself being uh, being a rebel in a fascist state because I think I'd be jailed or killed very <laughs> very quickly. But being a, a conformist in a fascist state is is even worse. I think. What about those individuals that have remained? How are people handling this? Uh, you know, war that uh, on one hand they're not part of because they're not on the battlefield on the other hand they live in the country that is the aggressor um, and they want to practice their art is is there still art happening in russia or you know or has all of the russian uh, cultural freedoms have shifted outside of russia these days well of course there are still a lot of people in russia who play music who write books who uh, uh, stage uh, theater performances, act uh, in movies, and so on. Uh, I think I think that most of, well, of course, there is a part, a part of uh, uh, of uh, these people who uh, fully support the war. Uh, I personally, I know several of them, and I really, I really can't understand, you know, how people who've got brains and how people who've got talent, how can they become fascist supporters? For me, this is a little enigmatic, and uh, and I still can't find a precise uh, answer to this question. But uh, the overwhelming majority of those Russian uh, artistic figures who have remained in Russia, uh, uh, judging by, uh, by their reaction to what's happening and judging by, uh, you know, our conversations that I still have with them over the phone and so on, I understand that they try their best uh, to act like nothing's happening they uh, try not to notice all the horror that's uh, that's going on uh, in in russia now only today literally about an hour ago uh, i've read i've read the 
Russian music journalist's poll of uh, the best music, uh, the best songs and the best albums of 2022, both outside of Russia and in Russia. So I was really shocked by what I saw in uh, the Russian part of this poll. Not a single one of those so-called music journalists or music critics, not a single one of them mentioned uh, songs and videos by Nogus Velo or Noise MC or Face or even Zinfira and Boris Grebenshikov. They simply, they didn't mention all those Russian uh, rock and rap and pop musicians who have uh, composed and sang and made videos uh, to anti-war songs. It's, uh, it's like, you know, they're, they're absent, although it's absolutely obvious that it's these songs and these videos which are telling the truth about the situation in Russia, about the war with Ukraine, uh, it's obvious that these songs are by far the most important. Uh, these songs are what uh, 2022 will be remembered for. But, Artemi, but let me ask you this. Journalists, they, yeah. they just prefer to ignore them. Do people have access? It's kind of a basic question, but maybe people just can't see those videos, can't see those. No, 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 of course not. No, YouTube, YouTube works in Russia. Uh, even even forbidden channels, uh, they are easily available uh, through VPN and so on. So uh, this is <laughs> this is not uh, this is not the reason. Uh, they all can easily see these videos, and I'm 100% sure that they all have seen them. Uh, and, uh, of course, they do understand importance of, of these protest songs and protest videos, but they prefer to ignore them. And I think, I think this is an act of, of absolute uh, journalistic cowardice. Well... That is that is an interesting uh, kind of a side note to this whole madness that is that is Russia right now. Um, I will remind listeners that you're listening to WORT, a public affair. This is Yuri Rashkin. Um, I'm filling in today, and the phone number to give us a call is 608-256-2001 to take part in a conversation with Artemy Troitsky, one of the most well-known Russian uh, rock and music and culture uh, journalists and uh, Kremlin critics, as you may have noticed. Um, Artemy, let me ask you this uh, Russian culture question, since uh, it is kind of a a topic that is brought up, and sometimes it seems like it's more relevant to Russian speakers than to Americans, because, like, Americans maybe just don't I don't know we, we have a different kind type of connection but um, how you know this seems like it's more comparable to well Nazi Germany where d- Germans were dealing with the fact that they were like everybody looked at them as, as Germans and, and there's World War two going on or World War one I. I mean there's great uh, kind of a cultural reminders from that period um, how are you seeing Russian culture faring these days 
Well, I think I think that the comparison with Nazi Germany in the four, in the thirties and the forties is is absolutely just. Uh, what's happening in Russia now uh, is uh, is uh, the the rise of 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 fascism is of course uh, all kinds of repressions outside the country, aggression outside the country, and so on. And uh, Putin's ideology. Uh, which is ultra conservative and violent is also very close. Uh, it's not similar, but still, it's it's very close uh, to Nazi Germany's uh, ideology. Uh, what's happening with culture is that uh, most of of uh, uh, good quality, honest, and talented Russian culture is now apparently created outside of Russia. Uh, all the best known Russian uh, uh, novelists, writers and poets have emigrated. And I'm talking about Vladimir Sorokin and Viktor Pilevin, Lyudmila Ulitskaya, Boris Akunin, uh, also poets like Vera Polaskova and so on. Uh, uh, most Russian uh, musicians, both Classical and pop are also now outside of Russia. Of course, I'm not. I'm not talking about all the musicians. I mean, musicians in the orchestras and so on. But uh, but the well-known musicians, the ones uh, to watch for, they are. Uh, they're also now. You know, some of them are in the USA. Others are in Israel or Germany or the Baltic uh, countries and. And so on, and the same can be said about about nearly everyone. And uh, those uh, uh, those Russian cultural figures who've remained in Russia uh, and also who don't want to sell out to the fascist regime, they now they now experience very very difficult times. Like, uh, for instance, Yuri Shevchuk and DDT who are arguably the most popular Russian rock band and who have condemned the war in Ukraine. Uh, they've been blacklisted like about 30 or 40 other rock bands and, and performers. They're blacklisted and uh, they can't play any uh, live concerts in Russia, uh, which of course is really... Uh, it's uh, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a criminal treatment uh, of uh, of of musicians because they have they have to meet their audience they have to play they have to earn money by playing concerts and so on and they cannot do this right now so all the DDT are doing now is that they are sitting in the studio recording new songs and occasionally making video for these songs. And, uh, and Yuri Shevchuk is also f uh, facing uh, all kinds of uh, fines for discrediting the Russian army and, uh, and so on. And of course, uh, of course, this is not, this is not how, uh, how music life should go in a normal country. 
And we remind listeners uh, to give us a call, 608-256-2001, extension 9, and that's a special extension for public affair listeners. Uh, give us a call. Uh, let's uh, chat what you think about what is going on with uh, Russia and Ukraine on the cultural side. Well, on the cultural side, um, Ukraine has had a you know awakening in certain level in the last eight years of uh, patriotic uh, songs and just a sense of patriotism and protest that's uh, very different, I think, from uh, how Russians have been expressing it because Ukrainians actually have a state that they're proud of and they have a country they love and it's a very different feeling. Um, how are you uh, looking at what happened with uh, Ukrainian music in the last few years? Well, uh, I think I think that uh, after the beginning of, of real big war, which of course is February 24th, of uh, of this year, uh, there's been a, a whole explosion of uh, of new music uh, in uh, in Ukraine uh, of uh, of songs uh, inspired by uh, by this heroic fight of the Ukrainian nation against against uh, Putin's aggression. And I've made several uh, uh, several shows on my radio program and podcast at Radio Liberty, songs of uh, of Ukrainian resistance, uh, songs of victory, and so on. And the interesting thing is that uh, stylistically, these songs are are varied uh, from. Uh, uh, folk music and very straightforward pop music to uh, singer-songwriter ballads uh, to uh, rock, uh, rap and hip-hop and so on. All kinds, all kinds of uh, music styles uh, have been uh, involved in these uh, uh, musical protest movements. And, uh, of course, you know, this unfortunately is not the case, uh, not the case in Russia, where uh, so far, so far, rather, rather few of Russian artists have reacted uh, to, uh, to this war. And I'm even talking about uh, those artists who uh, have emigrated. So they are not risking, they are not risking anything. Uh, if they uh, uh, sing uh, like "Down with War" and and Putin is a criminal and uh, and so on, but uh, but I don't see much of these of this protest product uh, being uh, being made in uh, uh, or by uh, by Russian artists these days, unfortunately. It seems like there's just an exodus right now going out of uh, Russia. It's, uh, it seems like the, the young men have uh, run away. The people who are protesting have left. Um, it's, it, is there anybody left? Or, or is, uh, you know, and, and again, not that uh, you know him. I don't know. Do you know Putin personally? But uh, what, what is he thinking here? He, what is, what is, could, could possibly be his uh, logic for all of this? I mean, uh, do you know? <laughs> well, you've asked me two very different questions. So, so which one? The Let's one start with about, Exodus. The one about Exodus or yes. the one about Putin? Let's do with Exodus. 
Okay, with Exodus, I think I think that the scale of this Exodus is really it's kind of underestimated in the West because what's happening uh, in Russia right now is that millions, literally millions of uh, young or relatively young people are escaping uh, from the country, and and they are not uh, not typical refugees. Uh, not people, you know, who run away from uh, from hunger, from poverty, from war in their countries, like, uh, say, the Syrians or the Iraqis, and so on. These are uh, these are well well off people uh, who simply don't want to become uh, cannon fodder, and they escape in hundreds of thousands and even millions. I mean. Uh, I've read the statistics of uh, of American uh, escapees uh, during the Vietnam War. So, uh, in ten years, from 1965 to 1974, 75, 40,000 40, Americans, young Americans, have escaped to Canada because they didn't want uh, to get drafted for the Vietnam War. So 40,000 in 10 years. In Russia, it was nearly 2 millions in uh, 10 months. So uh, I think that this is absolutely unprecedented in, uh, you know, in the history of mankind, you know, this, <laughs> this kind of exodus. <laughs> And I think that it will have indeed uh, terrible, terrible repercussions uh, for Russia, both economically, demographically, and uh, and so on. It's uh, it's an absolute catastrophe because of of course these uh, you know all those folks they are not going uh, to return back to Russia while the war is still on, and. Uh, even when the war is over, and I hope it will be over next year, uh, I, I'm not sure that they will be so enthusiastic about about returning to Russia, because uh, you know most of those uh, escapees they are they are people who speak foreign languages, who are uh, very professional, and uh, and and they are easily converted into into say the western civilization and i don't think that they will want to go back uh, uh, to the russian barbarism which brings me to my second question what is putin thinking because this seems like a just a grand collapse of bad ideas well it is it is absolutely catastrophic for russia and of course of course you know it uh, it will sound a little a little kind of cynical of me to say but I think that uh, the damage that this war is doing to Russia is even worse than the damage it's doing to Ukraine. Because we are all absolutely sure that Ukraine uh, will win in this war and then the whole world will uh, help Ukrainians uh, to restore the ruined country and Ukraine will become uh, a very important and, and a much... Uh, loved and adored nation in the world whereas in russia it will be <laughs> it, it will be all the opposite i mean everyone uh, well they don't necessarily hate russia now but no one likes russia 
and no one wants to be to be kind of partners with Russia, friends with Russia. It's uh, and I think that this will uh, go on for. Uh, I don't know how long, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. It may take generations uh, to, restore, uh, to restore the respect for Russia among, among the people of, 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 of the world. And yes, it is Putin who is to be blamed for that. You know, I've said many times that no one called the Afghan war Brezhnev's war. No one called the Chechen war Yeltsin's war. But uh, this Ukrainian war, it is Putin's war. Of course, he is unfortunately supported by millions of Russians. Uh, but but he was he was the initiator of this war. He is the uh, ideal ideologist of this war. And uh, uh, you know, you ask me what does he think? I think that uh, you know it's. Uh, uh makes no sense uh, to guess what is he thinking because he's not sane putin is insane he's a psychopath he's obsessed with some uh, uh absurd and uh, self-destructing ideas and uh, there's absolutely no all right i'm okay let's see I don't know if there was language that is uh, accepted on the radio, so I will, I will move on. Uh, but we know Putin. Sorry about I mean, that. Right, uh, Putin. We know. Um, uh, I guess uh, as far as trying to understand the thought process here, um, one of the people that I'd like to get your take on is somebody that I think a lot of. Uh, reading, thinking public in the West knows, <coughs> perhaps unfortunately, um, Alexander Dugin, uh, who is sometimes known as, uh, credited uh, as uh, being uh, Putin's ideologist and then somehow playing an influential role in that uh, setup uh, in Russian leadership where he somehow provides some kind of thoughts. Um, at the same time, his daughter was murdered and uh, in, in an attack that is, uh, at this point, is being, uh, the responsibility is looking at the Ukrainian side. So that makes him more influential than maybe we thought. Or uh, what are your thoughts? Because I'm, the reason I'm asking you, Artem, is because uh, of uh, another famous Russian musician, Sergei Kuryokhin, that uh, you have known and who at the end of his uh, life became involved with Dugin, at the, who was at the beginning stages of his um, crazy career. So if you could tell us that story, that'd be great. Uh, well, I used to know Dugin a little bit in the late 80s, early 90s, and this was exactly the period when uh, uh, he was flirting uh, with uh, Kuryokhin and, and rock music in general. I was, I personally was never impressed by him, uh, although he definitely uh, knows a lot. He's, he's read a lot of books and his favorite uh, appearance is... is uh, uh, to spread quotes from all kinds of obscure uh, sources. I mean, you talk with him and he constantly uh, uh, refers to some medieval books, to some esoteric books from uh, the 19th century. 
and so on. And, uh, uh, well, Sergei Kurukhin was a very close friend of mine, and I knew him very well, and I know that Kurukhin was always strongly impressed uh, by the people who uh, have skills or knowledge that he doesn't have. And therefore, he was very impressed uh, by Dugan's erudition. Uh, well, I think, I think that uh, uh, Dugan is, is basically uh, a scoundrel. Uh, I, I don't rate him as an intellectual. Uh, because what he's saying and what he's writing is is very banal, uh, kind of Nazi Eurasian uh, stuff, which I don't think is especially interesting. Plus, it's it's also mixed uh, with uh, this Russian esoteric tradition, you know, like uh, Madame Blavatska, like uh, Gurdjieff, and so on. You know all this rubbish. Uh, ah, yeah, he was also he was also a huge fan. Well, actually, a devotee of <laughs> of one uh, uh, infamous Anglo-Saxon man, and I mean Alistair Crowley, uh, the famous English mystic of uh, of the early twentieth century. So uh, you know his ideology. It's it's just a mix of all kinds of esoteric, exotic, and stupid things. And uh, I think I think that his influence is uh, very strongly exaggerated. Uh, I, I'm not even sure that Putin has ever uh, spoke with him, because uh, Putin's ideology is uh, well, it does have a lot uh, a lot in common uh, with these Dugan's rubbish, uh, but it's. Uh, it's uh, it's more primitive and it's uh, uh, less based on uh, on uh, history and, and 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 philosophy and and uh, rather rather based uh, just on obsession uh, with uh, uh, revanchism. Do you have this word revanchism? Um, sounds close enough. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Revenge, yes, revengeism. Um, yes, yes. He wants, you know, his uh, his wet dream is uh, to restore the almighty uh, Soviet Empire. You know, this is uh, this is, you know, what what he really wants to do, and uh, and everything else, uh, you know, it's is just all kinds of little stupid means to achieve these this big and. Uh, absolutely unachievable goal. Um, and I will just add that uh, Sergei Kuryakin uh, was uh, known for many different things, uh, uh, one of which is a, is a stunt where he gave a lecture basically explaining that Lenin, uh, Vladimir Lenin, was actually a mushroom, um, which I think is just a beautiful concept no matter what. Um, 
Artemi, let me ask you this. You are, uh, thanks to technological miracles, you are here virtually <coughs> in studio, but actually in reality you're in, in Estonia, in Tallinn. Can you tell us a little bit about how this war is being viewed from the Baltic states? How How is, uh, you know, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, formerly known as parts of Soviet Union, before known as independent countries? Before, I mean, like all of that kind of history that they have, uh, and now they're so close, uh, there could be you know they are now part of NATO, which uh, probably gives them a little bit of peace of mind. But they're very close. So how does it look from Tallinn? Well, uh, I think that you're aware of the fact that the three Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, along with Poland, are uh, the strongest and uh, uh, best articulated opponents of. Uh, uh, contemporary Russia and Putin and his war. And also uh, we help a lot uh, the Ukrainians. Uh, of course, you know, not as much as the United States, but if you take, uh, you know, the per capita uh, measures, then you will see that, uh, say, Estonia is number one country in the world uh, who've taken Ukrainian refugees, if uh, if it's measured, uh, I think against with, their GDP, GDP, I think. Yeah, with the country's population, we now have oh, sixty-five thousand, sixty-five thousand of Ukrainian refugees in in Estonia, and uh, the whole population of this tiny country is one million three hundred thousand. So. Uh, in Estonia, of course, uh, this war is uh, is seen uh, as uh, uh, as something that also might happen to Estonia if Estonia w- uh, wasn't a, ma- a member of NATO. And uh, you know, for uh, for Estonians, I would say there's uh, there's no panic. There is no panic, uh, first, because we are a member of NATO and the European Union, but second, also, because we saw that Russian army is not as uh, strong uh, uh, as uh, as many have feared. Uh, this is not the second army in the world. This is like the 52nd army in the world. And it's also, it's corrupt, it's non-motivated, it's technically backwards and so on. So I wouldn't say that there is a panic in the Baltic states, uh, uh, that there's, uh, say, some uh, some uh, special measures taken uh, at uh, the Estonian-Russian border and so on. But uh, both the material and the moral and the humanitarian support for Ukrainians uh, is is enormous, is enormous. You know, the kind of difficult thing here is that there's a big part of Russian population in Estonia and Latvia. In Latvia, I think Russians make up to 40, even 45% of the general population. In Estonia, it's slightly less, it's about 25, 30%, but still that's enough. And unfortunately, among those Russians living in Estonia, a, uh, a lot are brainwashed uh, by uh, Moscow's propaganda, and therefore, uh, therefore, you know, the uh, 
kind of gap uh, between uh, the Estonian majority and the Russian minority is, is widening. And that is something that I wanted to ask you about more is language, but I will uh, remind listeners to give us a call, 608-256-2001, extension 9. Join the conversation on Word. Uh, my name is Yuri Rashkin. I'm subbing in today for, um, I don't know, for a public affair. I'm glad to be here. And uh, the question that I have, Artemy, uh, who Artemy Troitsky, uh, there's not that many Artemis in, in Russian culture, so there's a certain uh, unique uh, place you're occupying, uh, Artemy Kivovich. Um, Russian language, there seems to be quite a, a battle in all of these uh, countries that are close to Russia uh, against Russian language. And, and uh, in Estonia in particular, but all the Baltic states, how are uh, people, uh, why are they so up in arms, well, literally, um, against Russian language? What's the problem there? Well, uh, of all bad things that Putin has done to Russia, I think that I personally, I suffer most from what is done to Russian culture and Russian culture's appreciation abroad and uh, what is uh, what is done and doing uh, to the Russian language. I mean, I really love Russian language. I think it's, you know, like uh, we say in Russia, it's Veliki i Maguchi, great and mighty. And really, Russian language is, uh, is fantastic. It's, uh, it's a very expressive and very versatile language. I mean, I can, I can compare it to English language, and uh, for me, for me, it's uh, it's usually easier to express myself in Russian uh, than in English. Uh, and uh, indeed, the Russian language has been given uh, quite a bad name now, N- not because it's uh, it's a bad language, but because it's used by awful people, and because this language now is the language of fascist propaganda. So. Uh, I mean, I really, I really don't know what will happen uh, to the Russian language uh, in uh, in the future. I think that in those countries, uh, like the former Soviet Union countries, where uh, uh, there's a substantial amount of Russian population, Russian language will be kind of put aside. Uh, like uh, I think that in Estonia now they uh, they've passed the law that from 2025 or 2026 there will be no more uh, Russian language schools in Estonia, no more Russian language kindergartens except for private ones, of course. Uh, and I can understand this. I mean, uh, you know, it makes me sad, but uh, but it doesn't make me angry. Because uh, because I think that uh, you know this is happening, this is happening for a, a very very obvious reason, and again it's it's Putin who has to be blamed uh, uh, for the humiliation of the Russian language. 
And Artemi, you said something in there that I think is, is really crucial to understanding what's going on with the language is that language, it is a language of propaganda. And a friend of mine says that there is two kinds of Russians, Russians who watch Russian TV and Russians who don't watch Russian TV. That, that really is such a powerful tool and they are um, weaponizing their propaganda and their television, which is being at the same time viewed by older people, but yet even with all the choices available on YouTube, people still gravitate to a lot of propaganda talk. Um, is it is it because uh, it tells them that they are winning and they live in an awesome, powerful empire and everybody is weak? I mean, it appeals to people. Uh, why, why do people listen in Russia to propaganda so much? Well, uh, well, I think that people have different motivation. Uh, well, for the elderly people, they are used uh, to TV propaganda. I mean, they've been used uh, to it in the in the Soviet Union, and they are still uh, listening to it religiously. And uh, you also have to notice that uh, in uh, many Russian regions, there's simply no internet. And TV is uh, the only the only uh, mass media there, especially in small towns, in the villages, and so on. So they simply have no other means of uh, of of knowing what's happening except except for television. Then, uh, if we talk about urban population and the uh, well educated people uh well for me for me it's difficult it's it's difficult to understand why why they are uh so sensitive uh, uh to tv propaganda i think that maybe maybe it's happening uh, because uh, because for them it's uh, simply easier to live this way because they cannot protest they are afraid of going out in the streets they they don't know what to do and 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 therefore they they just surrender they just surrender to this propaganda and they try and they try not not to uh, to pay attention uh, to the awful truth because it's because it's simply painful and they prefer uh, to live there with their eyes closed, or like we said, to look at the world uh, through uh, rosy glasses. So uh, I think I think that uh, there are different there are different motivations and different reasons why uh, people. Uh, fall in uh, love and understanding uh, with this propaganda because I wouldn't say that it's especially smart. It's it's as stupid and unconvincing and and of course full of lies uh, like the Soviet propaganda. Uh, but back in the Soviet Union, uh, you know, people, you know, people didn't take it seriously. People, uh, people kind of. Uh, uh you know they uh, they took the soviet propaganda as a joke uh but right now right uh, right now it's much more serious all right we have diane on the line diane welcome to public affair um welcome to the conversation Hi, what's I'm your question you, 
hi. I had to be away from the program for about 10 minutes, and I'm sitting in my car right now, and so I'm hoping you can hear me. My question is, if you haven't dealt with this already, what do you think is going to happen to Putin and when? <coughs> well, very, it's a very, good question. It is. It's everyone, a great question. Everyone wants to know the answer. I can give you my opinion. I think that, uh, that Putin will not last long. I think that uh, there are two basic scenarios. One is that uh, he will be removed by his own entourage. I mean, in Russia, uh, or uh, let's put it this way, in the Russian elite, the perception of, uh, of Russian aggression against the Ukraine is, uh, is very mixed. And there's a big part of the Russian elite, including uh, uh, the government uh, functionaires, including the so-called oligarch and, and big businessmen, tycoons and so on, even, even uh, you know, the people in uh, security services. Uh, there's a lot of them who hate this war, who think that Putin is doing awful things to the country, and who also suffer themselves because, uh, among other things, I mean, you know, they, uh, their business jets are rusting, their yachts are being uh, confiscated, their businesses are under sanctions and so on. So they hate this situation and, uh, and they would be happy, you know, to go back to, to 2010. Uh, and uh, and enjoy their luxurious lifestyle, their corruption, and uh, and no war and big money. Uh, so I think I think that uh, that these people they will sooner or later they must they must uh, somehow react and overthrow Putin, who I think is not as strong at, as he might uh, look. Another way of uh, getting rid of Putin, of course, is, uh, is the same as it was with uh, Osama bin Laden. I mean, uh, you know, America has cruise missiles, America has uh, <laughs> all kinds of uh, special forces. And I think that uh, the, the quickest and the easiest and the most bloodless way of... of uh, finishing this bloody Ukrainian war is just to get rid of Putin this way or another. And I think that it will happen. It will definitely happen in the coming uh, Happy New 2023. Thank you, Diane. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's great because uh, when the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, was speaking to Congress, he said that, you know, all the Ukrainians people, all Ukrainian people will have this one wish, wish for victory, which makes sense in the context of a speech. But having, you know, the call from Diane and everything, perhaps there's another wish that everyone is going to make and are made with Santa, depending on which holiday you celebrate, by the way, happy Kwanzaa. And uh, let me ask you, and, uh, and, I, uh, and uh, Artemi, Vladimir Zelensky, he was a famous, well, very well-known performer in Russia before he became president of Ukraine. Uh, can you tell us anything about this uh, individual that is now is, you know, a person of the year, Time magazine, but uh, it's, it's a long way from where he started? Well, Vladimir Zelensky is a person of the year 
in all the magazines, <laughs> as far as I know. Uh, well, unfortunately, I don't know Vladimir Zelensky personally. And, uh, of course, I, like everyone, or almost everyone else, is very impressed by his performance. I even thought that, uh, that you know, there are two types of, of, of national leaders. Uh, one type are the leaders who are good uh, at... Uh, at the routine, routinous uh, situation. So they are good at economy, at social matters, ecology, and so on. So when everything is going more or less uh, well and under control, uh, they are great managers uh, to maintain and sustain these, uh, this prosperity. And the second type of national leaders are the ones who are good at, at the hardest times, at, at crises. And this is, and this is exactly, say, the story of Winston Churchill, who was never a, a, too a successful uh, politician when it came to internal British mat, uh, uh, matters, but uh, but who was absolutely incredible and heroic and uh, endlessly strong at uh, the times of the war. I think the same may also apply, uh, say, in a way for Ronald Reagan, who, uh, who more or less ruined uh, American economies, uh, as far as I know, and ruined many social programs and so on. But again, when it came uh, to Cold War, he was very effective in... Uh, in putting Soviet Union on its knees. Or say we in Estonia right now, we have uh, uh, a beautiful young woman, Kaya Kalas, as the prime minister, who again uh, uh, is seen as not uh, very successful in economic matters and so on. Uh, but, uh, but she is definitely the most popular Estonian politician of all times because uh, she is now uh, hugely popular in Europe because uh, she is so strong in uh, in uh, supporting uh, the Ukraine. So yes, it's uh, <laughs> it's an interesting thing. And Vladimir Zelensky, of course, is a perfect example of this wartime national leader. I mean, uh, you know, uh, he's an actor, of course, and. Uh, well, the role, the role of, uh, of great manager and economist wasn't good for him, uh, but the role of wartime leader suits him absolutely perfectly. Artemi, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I'd like to kind of end this by saying how, uh, kind of reiterating Diane's question of how long do you think this, you know, I mean, you're, you're saying we're looking at, uh, I guess, next year. That's, I guess, what I heard you say, because I a lot of uh, Russian people that have left recently, they're saying, I think that there's a mindset of we're going to be coming back soon. This can't last forever. This this is a temporary, even though, as you said, may, they may choose not to go back. Um, but uh, I guess we're kind of, this is a holiday show, and you, you have good feeling about uh, 2023 then, huh? Yes, yes. I am I am sincerely optimistic. And I, I really think that with the support of the whole free world, Ukraine will uh, win. And I don't think it will take too long. 
in well in my opinion and of course i'm not an expert in uh, in military matters uh, but in my opinion uh, uh, this victory will uh, take no more than one year i'm pretty sure that by the end or even uh, by autumn of 2023 uh, russia will withdraw uh, to its original borders and Ukraine will be free. Well, I think on that wonderful note, uh, let's wrap up our conversation. Um, I'm really grateful that Artemy Troitsky was able to join us uh, today, although we have a couple more My minutes. Pleasure. Right. So um, Artemy is now hopping off from our conversation to go on to another conversation. And uh, I am really grateful that he was able to find time uh, to speak with us. I want to thank everybody who gave us a call today. And uh, I want to thank Megan for producing, for being engineer. And I want to thank Steve, our receptionist, Shali, uh, of course. And uh, coming up next is uh, Mitch Deserich. And uh, on Tuesdays, come back for Ali Muldrow. And this is Yuri Rashkin. I'm thrilled to be here today. Have a wonderful, happy holiday season. And uh, take care. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate.